This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. The Mile High Phi Club. I am Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Doug, today we have a mailbag episode, and I'm pretty excited about this one because we've got some really good questions from listeners. Uh, we have five of them that we are going to go over this time. We are going to talk about umbrella policies, which is a bit of a follow-up that a reader sent us from a previous episode. We're going to talk about the 4% rule in light of what's going on with the markets right now. Uh, we're going to talk about if it's okay to own a Tesla and to be pursuing financial independence. I love that one. We're going to expound on Costa Fi, which we talked about a little bit on a previous episode, but apparently not enough. And finally, we have a pretty interesting reader case study that we're going to go over. But before we get into that, uh, Doug, we've been talking a lot about dry January. Um, how did that go for you? It was awesome. And I, it's February 1st, by the way, when we're recording this and I have no plans to, you know, drink, although now that I'm thinking about it, like maybe this weekend, but no specific plans where past dry Januaries, I just, I would have a beer like at lunch on February 1st, which kind of, I mean, when you think about that defeats the purpose, it's like deprivation. And then you like, uh, go even further into the deep end. So yeah, it's been good. How about you? Yeah, it has been pretty good. But one thing I've noticed, and I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this, is sometimes you take one pleasure away from yourself and you maybe overcompensate with a different one. And for me, sometimes I have a pretty hard time avoiding sugar. And the solution to that is just not to keep it in the house in the first place. But in the middle of dry January, my I someone has sent me a box of chocolate covered pretzels, which I love as a gift. And normally I wouldn't do this, but I, I kind of think, think I was suffering is too big of a word, but like, yeah, you know, I can't drink. Maybe I can compensate with something else. So, uh, I went off the rails and I ate the whole box of chocolate covered pretzels <laughs> in, in like 10 minutes. And then I, I left the box laying around and <laughs> Mindy came down and she's like, what happened to this? I'm like, um, yeah, I ate them. She's like, really? You ate them? I'm like, yeah. And I ate them all at once. She's like, what's the <laughs> matter with you? I'm like, I'm sorry. I apologize. I knew it was a bad idea when I did it, but here we are. Yeah. And I, I basically do the same thing. Although the, the thing is this year, this January, I did really well for like the first two weeks. I was eating better. I was like, all right, meat, veggies, like limit the carbs, stay away from the sugar. There's always like more sweets around like right after the holidays too. So I was doing pretty good. But then my wife likes to bake. So she's like making fucking cookies, seriously, like every three or four days. So there's like multiple kinds of cookies up there. So I am pretty good to stay away but the thing is if they're around i'll eat every goddamn one of them J just like you're saying like you ate the whole box there's like shredded cardboard around you or whatever and you're just sitting there like oh what did, what did i do i have no self-control and basically that's what it's like for me so these last couple days i'm like all right i gotta i gotta get back in control and I mean, it's kind of setting yourself up for failure if you're just like, okay, I'm going to put all the tempting stuff that you're trying to stay away from, like right at your fingertips. Yeah. It's terrible. Oh man, the cookie struggle is real. Our, our kids like to cook too and and they'll make a huge batch of them. And for one, you could smell them while they're cooking and that's <laughs> that just terrorizes you. Yeah, the smell, it's like a cartoon where you see the, the smell like come down the stairs and go, goes into your nose and then you come up and they're cooling off on the racks. And, and Doug, I don't know if you do this, but- a chocolate chip cookie, I'll eat straight from the oven. Like our kid will take it out, put it down there, and I'll just grab it and put it in my mouth. My kid will be like, no, 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 dad, that just came out of the oven. I'm like, nope, this is how I like it. I don't care if I burn my mouth. And and then they'll leave them there too. So every time you pass by them, they're calling your name. And yeah. so now I've got to the point where I'm like, okay, we're going to box these up and take them to the co-working space and give them to members. They cannot be around because cookies and I do not have a healthy relationship. 
And speaking of which, that was another time when I went off the rails. So there was a, a great event from the NOCO Northern Colorado Mustachians, the meetup. So we'll link up to that in the show notes if people are in the vicinity. But there uh, was a, a wonderful party and uh, mostly desserts. There, I think there were a couple of meatballs. Um, was it Jesse the, and uh, I forget? Um, Jesse. Lindsay. Lindsay. Jesse and Lindsay brought in meatballs and then everything else was like cookies or cake. And I basically had like four meatballs and like 50 cookies. I had some of the uh, banana cake that you guys brought. Eventually I, I warm, wore down and I was like, ah, I broke the seal. I may as well just have some of this cake. What's good? Yeah, it's an all or nothing thing. I, I like the uh, golden cram thing that someone made. Like, oh, God. Who oh. brought that? That was ridiculous. I don't know. I wanted to give that person a hug. Uh, Mindy and I, we went to that thing and I'm like, hey, are we going to? It was at night. So I'm like, hey, we haven't eaten yet. We should eat dinner before we go to the party tonight. She's like, nah, we'll just graze at the HQ event. And that was a huge mistake for the reasons you just said. Yep. That was uh, my strategy too. I, I had like a little snack, but it wasn't nearly a, enough. So anyway. Um, are, are you back on track, like eating wise now? I am. I'm at, uh, probably the lowest weight I've been since before the holidays. I need to get under 160. I'm not quite there yet, but I think I weighed in at like 162.5 this morning. So I'm on a good trajectory. My goal is to, uh, I was actually looking at my economy talk. I'm like, ah, oh, man, you had a gut there on stage. What's wrong with you? So I want to be better than that by the time this economy rolls around in end of March or middle of March, actually. Swimsuit weather. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of getting back on track, you know, one day at a time, that sort of thing. But I, a funny thing, I actually lost, I lost some weight and then I think I started putting it back on via the sugar and stuff like that. Plus it's been cold as shit around here. So I just haven't been outside as much. I mean, I still go out and go for walks, but like when it's negative two or something like that like your face gets cold and like you probably shouldn't be out as long so even if you bundle up it's rough so yeah not as much exercise all right so before we get to the meat of the episode and all these great questions we need donations <laughs> there's a better way to say that we need some support for the show we do have a page buy me a coffee out there and the thing is it's not just a handout. I mean, you can get the show for free. You don't have to donate. But if you really like what we're doing, you can go to buy me a coffee. There's a link in the description. And basically, you can donate to help support the show for editing, hosting. We have an assistant that helps out with like timestamps, which we've added. And that means someone has to go through the episode early and note when we change subjects and then note the time. And... Carl and I are not doing that. Would you? Do you want to do that? I do not want to do that <laughs> at all. I've got enough things going on. Yeah. And you don't want to hear us talk also. No. Yeah. So, yeah, you can check it out. And the thing is, there's extra content over there. So, we're uh, posting some random thoughts, maybe, maybe like once a week. And we'll, we post pictures occasionally and stuff like that. And there's different levels. So if you do join at a, at a higher level with a monthly donation, then you may get a, a t-shirt. You may get a postcard handwritten by Carl or myself. So. Yeah. We should have some kind of challenge, you know, how they sometimes have for fundraisers where if you raise this amount, you have to eat a can of dog food or cat food. I, I don't really want to do that one, but you have to grow <laughs> your hair out or not shave for like a month or something like that. Neither of us would look that great. Not that there's anything to brag about right now. I'm talking about myself, Doug, not you. You, you look glorious <laughs> at all times. But I can't grow my hair out. What, what kind of, what would happen do you think? Would it be like the, the side thing, like the Gallagher look or whatever, or does it just, oh. yeah. You know, I haven't grown my hair out in, in quite a while, but yeah, I guess best case scenario, I look like Krusty the Clown. <laughs> <laughs> when I grow my hair out, Doug, it's unruly. Uh, it just turns into this big puff. It it's uncontrollable, so I, I really can't stand it. It drives me nuts. My kids call me Puffhead. Really? Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we could do that one. I yeah. like that. <laughs> well, donation drive for you to grow out your hair. <laughs> yeah. If uh, if readers have any suggestions of something stupid we could do, if we get to a certain <laughs> amount of donations, uh, leave a comment in the show notes or send us an email, which brings us to our next thing. I think I finally remember our email addresses. Uh, call me out if I've got them wrong, but it's Doug at milehighficlub.com. You can send your hate that, mail yeah, there. Yeah, that is wrong. 
is milehighfi.com. Oh, crap. Doug at milehighfi.com. What happens if it goes to Mile High Fi Club? I guess it'll just bounce back. We shouldn't even mention that because then people will start doing that. Or Carl at MileHighFi.com. And this is a mailbag show. So if you have questions for us that you'd like to read on a future episode, send that to us as well. We love reader feedback and questions, as long as it's positive. Yeah. And side note, we actually, we like um, constructive criticism, you know, um, but we did get an email. I didn't clear it with a person, so I won't t- divulge all the details, but someone actually sent an email that it said we didn't do a good job on a particular episode and it's hard to get feedback. And this person seemed like they were down to tell us more. So I, I said, can you tell us more? Like we need more details. And they actually had great feedback, which we were able to take and try to improve the show. So it's tough sometimes, you know, the internet, it's a crazy place. There's trolls out there and sometimes it's hard to tell who's who. Um, But I usually give people the benefit of the doubt and just, I was like, what do you got to say? We want to know more. And we got some good feedback and it was kind of cool. Um, overall. So any thoughts on that exchange? No, that was a good strategy. I I wasn't planning on replying back to that, but then you said, you mind if I do? And you did. And then, yeah, you're right. We got some really good feedback. I don't think, I don't know if he was just having a bad day. Oh, and the cool thing is I had a female troll too, which is pretty rare. I think like 99% of internet trolls are men. So way to go lady (laughs) for breaking the gender barrier. The, uh, I don't know what you call that, but yeah, I think it was good that you replied back to the person. And then, yeah, he had a bunch of really good thoughts on it. So it, it's good. He's not the, uh, he was just having a bad day or something. Yeah. And that, that does happen occasionally. It's very, it's interesting. It's interesting because you, you only have that one email or YouTube comment or whatever. And you're like, wow, like, should I, should I end it all right now? Like, this is really harsh feedback. And I, actually, I've gotten one where it's like, you should just kill yourself, man. It's like, what God. the fuck? It's, you signed up for the email list, dude. Like, you just unsubscribe, guy. Like, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It, so. and, and this person did say that we should quit the show. He didn't say we should kill ourselves. So. Right. So that's good, right? Yeah. 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 He values life. But anyway, <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, first question here, and this is about umbrella policies, which you recently got and maybe more interested. Some of the details here are wonderful. So you're a little bit more of an expert. I'm going to let you tackle this one, Carl. Yeah, expert speaking in the loosest of terms because, uh, Doug, I have to be honest with you, we signed up for the umbrella policy just because a lot of other people told us we should protect our assets. I didn't really know what they were, but it turned out to be a good thing. I think we covered it on a previous episode, but if you have an umbrella policy, you have to have your auto home under the same thing. And we actually ended up paying less when we moved to that and had the umbrella policy. So it turned out good. But an umbrella policy is, I guess, kind of like a backup policy that protects you against extreme situations. And Quick uh, follow-up. So you have your normal insurance and it covers up to a certain amount. The umbrella goes above and beyond like an umbrella. It yes. covers you from the rain that may hit you. Yeah, we'll cover three real quick examples of it. The last one is pretty interesting, so we'll expound a little bit on that. But then we'll put Adam's email in the show notes because he knows a lot more than us, and I think that'll help. But it it was pretty lengthy, so we don't want to read them here. So the basic TLDR of it is you might have like a $50,000 policy if you crash into someone on your car to pay them, but then they might decide to sue you for above and beyond that. And the umbrella policy will cover that. It also, Adam also mentioned that it helps you if someone crashes into you, you might be able to get a payout from your umbrella policy if someone does something very bad to you. Uh, The third most interesting one is if someone tries to sue you, what Adam mentioned is that the insurance company doesn't want to pay out the two million bucks or whatever your umbrella policy is. So they're going to pay for a really good defense because it's cheaper for that. And I had never considered that. I didn't think that was a thing. But yeah, I thought that was the most interesting example of why you should have an umbrella policy for the defense that the insurance company will provide you with should you get into a hairy situation. Are you able to share how much your 
umbrella insurance policy is for? Uh, I believe ours is for $3 million. So yeah, if anyone wants to sue me, uh, please make it for $3 million or under. And I think the idea of it is that policy should cover, should be about the same amount as all the assets that someone could sue you for. And I'm not sure, this would be a good question for Adam, if he's listening, I don't know if someone could get retirement assets because I think those are somewhat protected. I know they're protected at some kinds of lawsuits. So I don't know if it's just post-tax stuff, if they can get at a retirement account like a 401k. Uh, so maybe a reader or Adam could comment on that. But yeah, someone told us to get the policy for what we have in assets. Okay. And that makes sense logically because if someone were to sue you, they wouldn't try to sue you for like more than you could pay out. Pro- probably. I mean, I guess they can, but it's kind of a maybe an empty, empty pursuit. Yes. They're trying to sue you for like $50 million. Like they can't squeeze more out. Yeah. So. Yeah. And okay. I've got mixed feelings on this. Uh, I don't think people are litigious. You turn on commercials, you see all those lawyer commercials, but I don't think it's as bad as you, is it the media paints it out to be, but I still think it's a good idea. I would, uh, mm-hmm. and it's cheap too. And for all policies do not cost a lot. Which probably speaks to what I just said. If people were sued all the time and the insurance companies constantly had to pay out, they would cost a lot more. But it's like nothing. I think it was, I, I don't want to speculate, but it was maybe, you know what? I think it was like two or 300 bucks a year or something like that. So it's not a lot of money. Okay. And I was going to say after the show, let me know what company you're using because I made like move everything over. And because I think we pay roughly the same for auto insurance. So I assume. Everything else is probably pretty close. I don't have a pool in my house, so it's probably cheaper too. Uh, yeah, that'll get you, especially if you have a diving board. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to move on? Yeah, let's do it. Next question. All right. This one is from Valentine. Do you think the 4% rule still makes sense in the current economic situation, or should something like 2 or 3% be used instead? So I've got two uh, thoughts on this. Actually, I have three thoughts, but the first two relate to the 4% rule itself. Uh, The 4% rule is meant to be a worst case scenario for any situation. If you look, I think the success rate is like 96% over the past, however long they did the study. Uh, So it's not supposed to be adjusted for current situations. You're supposed to rely, rely on that all the time. And as a matter of fact, when things are going good, and this is applied to most of the time of the 4% rule, you can actually pull out more than that. So again, it's just supposed to be the worst case scenario. Uh, the one thing I'll say about it is the 4% rule was only designed designed to go for 30 years. Uh, early retirement wasn't really a thing like it is now. So if you extrapolate beyond that to 60 years, I think big earn from early retirement now, he had a, he's got a really good series of posts on this, but I mentioned the success rate for 30 years is 96%. He thinks it, or he said it goes down to 89% over a 60-year period. And that's still a risk. I'm perfectly fine with 9 out of 10. Sounds great. But if you are on the more, if that gives you, if that makes you stay up at night, maybe you should save a little bit more than that. So I think, all right, we referenced... Michael Kitsis in um, an episode a while back. I don't remember which one. Could have been a mailbag episode. But he pointed out that the 4% you know, rule is like the, the thing we call it. It is more of a guideline, I would say. And he mentioned you know, that that's sort of the baseline. That gets you started. And then after that, you should revisit. I mean, you have to revisit every year to get the you know, the exact 4%, but it, it just kind of gets you in the ballpark. Now I'm paraphrasing and putting in my own thoughts, but after like so much back and forth and debate, I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, and maybe it's some of my own personal life coming out where I'm like 4%, 3%, like who gives a fuck? It doesn't, like you're in the ballpark and you're earning some money, right? After you retired. Yeah. <laughs> And every other person I know that has like stopped working, maybe they take a break for a few years. But uh, like Chris, we saw him this past weekend, the Indiana Jones of the Phi community, and he was he was doing some uh, teaching at a local college, right? So he was earning a little money there. And again, everyone I know has picked up some kind of side thing, ends up being a hobby that they earn a little money on. 
And you can get into trouble, right? After 30 years, you have the four, basically 96% success rate. And then after 60 years, it's 90%. 89, whatever. But that's if you don't look at anything and you just like throw everything out the window and just like blindly follow, no one's going to do that, right? Doug, I think your point is spot on. Ed, it's so good. So let's think of a real quick scenario. Let's say you need a million bucks, so you're planning on $40,000 by the 4% rule. If you've got some stupid little side hustle like selling, we know people, Jennifer, who was on the podcast before, sells these like PDF games, and I think she makes like 5000 bucks a year. So if you can make 5000 bucks a year, you're bringing your 4% rule down to a 3.5% rule. And I think at that point, you're almost bulletproof. There's a very, if you just make a little bit of money, it's a huge insurance policy. Uh, the other thing I'll say is, I don't know a single person who doesn't spend any money on silly shit. So- if it really came down to it and everything went to hell, there's lots of little things I could cut out. Like we go out to eat every once in a while. We go on these vacations. So if things got really bad and crazy, I would just I would just cut that stuff out. Again, I can't think of anyone who lives by the wire and has nothing that they can cut out from their budget. Right. Yeah. So we'll get back to the actual question. Do we think two or 3% should be used instead I'm okay with a 4% rule to get you to the ballpark. And then after that, you know, it's up to you. Everyone has a different comfort level. I know I, I spoke uh, like pretty definitively earlier, but you know, do your own thing. Like if you feel better with 2%, that's great. If that makes you just feel more comfortable generally, great. If you feel better with 6%, that's cool. I don't care. I, I'm not a, I don't judge people very much. I try to use their own, um, sort of their own views, or at least understand how people are viewing the world. Um, and then I'll, I'll try to judge them on that lens versus like <laughs> my, my own, even though, like I said, I know I'm, I'm just like, I've, I've gotten tired of like, oh, 4% rule. It's like, okay, like, are we debating this? Like, it doesn't really matter. Who cares? Yeah, we should have an episode called like, fuck the 4% rule or fuck you 4% rule. I think, I think we can do like a short video, a segment here. Yeah, fuck the 4% rule. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> so, so Doug, I have one follow-up question for you. And then I've got one more thing to say about his question because I think Valentin is thinking about this the opposite way that they should be thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So my follow-up question for you is, say you were really conservative and you're like 90 years old, you're about to die and you've got like 50 million bucks. Would you consider that a failure because you oversaved and you could have been spending this money on like cocaine and helicopters and stuff. I was just kidding about the cocaine part. Doug does know. <laughs> Doug's, that's not Doug's scene. Yeah. Well, I was going to say if I'm like 90 years old, maybe I try it out. You know, that's probably a l- amazing way to go out. I don't know. I guess if there's a good time to try it, that might be it. And that might push you over the edge too. There's quality of life. So yeah, take a big snore. And yeah. Psh. So yes, I, I would consider that a failure because I'm not trying to like leave a like generational wealth or anything like that. Um, so yeah, that would, for me, that would be a failure. And hopefully, you know, like I'm, I'm saying like you're monitoring this stuff over time and I would understand hopefully with enough quality of life left that I was like, okay, I could spend like crazy. I could bring family on trips. Like that would be a a pretty easy way to gobble up funds. It's just like rent a big place, pay for everybody to, you know, come on vacation and just have people visit you. Like that would, you could burn through money super fast that way. Yeah. Especially if you have free cocaine at whatever this place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be like a Scarface. You ever <laughs> see that movie? No, funny. I haven't. Really? I like it's so, so many references to it, but yeah, I've, I, that's one I have not actually seen. Oh my God. Say hello to my little friend. Yeah, it's like a cultural reference, but yeah, yeah. I've never seen the whole okay. thing. Okay, if you like lots of violence and uh, gangster movies, that would be a, a good one for you to see. But So I've got one more follow-up, and I think Valentin is thinking about this with the exact opposite way he should. The time to be worried about the 4% rule is when the markets are going bonkers and everything's super high and PE ratios are high because uh, if the market's like that, then a decline is more likely to happen soon because everything is cyclical. It goes up, it goes down. So now after the, after the market's had a big drop is probably the time the 4% rule is most applicable, maybe even the 5 or 6% rule. 
Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to this website called Multiple, which has the PE ratio of the markets. And I think that's a good indicator. And again, Big Earn had a pretty good post on this, like when the PE ratios, I think, are above 30, then you should be a little bit more worried about that sequence of returns risk, meaning that the market has a good chance of a downturn. Uh, so when the PE ratios are low after a big downturn, uh, then you might be able to let it rip a little bit and be less worried. And a quick other, another way to say it, and Carl, you can keep me honest here, but if you're not savvy with uh, PE and uh, any of the other details, with the markets up, it's kind of inflated, right? Some things might be overvalued and that means your portfolio might be overvalued and you have to kind of account for it. So you're, you know, we're talking 4% versus 5% after the market drops. It's the same amount because your expenses are the same, but just the percentage is a little higher after the market goes down uh, just because of that's how math works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, perfect. What is next? Next, we're going to talk about Teslas. And uh, let's see, reader Mike here, listener Mike sent us an email. I'm going to read it really quick. But the meat of this is the question we're going to get to is if it's okay to buy a Tesla. So Mike says, I've read every Mr. Money Mustache blog post and I started following him about 11 or 12 years ago. And so I was an early reader. Uh, we have an interview with Pete that folks should listen to. I will put that in the show notes. And then Mike goes on to say, I've always been an avid listener of Choose Fi, and I've followed your blog from time to time. He must be talking about me, 1500 Days, and I just started listening to your podcast. Also note that I'm a CPA, so I understand compounding and the opportunity cost of not buying something. Quick numbers, he's got $1.2 million in investment accounts that are all in S&P 500 funds and VTSAX. I have about 75% equity in my home, and my payments are really small because I bought it in 2012, so my mortgage payment is 700 a month. Current household income is about 240000 a year, so damn, Mike is killing it. Like He's doing super well. I don't know how old he is, but let's go on with the rest of his question. I bought a brand new Tesla Model Y last year for $63,000 after taxes. I love the car. It is amazing. We drive a ton with young kids in sports. I don't need to retire with millions and millions of dollars. I only need maybe two or two and a half million. Why is the FI community so judgmental about nice cars? Why would you or Mr. Money Mustache never own a Tesla? And when he says you, I'm not sure if he's talking about you, Doug, or me, but we'll talk about that a little bit later when we answer this. And uh, yeah, what, what do you think, Doug, about this question? Yeah, I think he's talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I will answer. Yeah. Um, so I think the Phi community is probably judgmental because a lot of a lot of people see it as a, a bad investment, and they're just like it's a huge amount of money that could be allocated somewhere else. When you get a little bit further in the conversations, like a conversation you might have at Economy or Camp Phi or something. People are like, ah, I don't care about cars, but I spend money on guitars, right? But someone else, maybe they grew up in a in a home where cars were really expensive, like it's part of the family culture. They like to go to the track and race or whatever, and like cars are a big deal. Like that's cool. I think most people are like, I understand that's your priority. Like it makes you happy. You spend time doing it. Like you get a, a lot of value out of it. And I think like the second conversation, like people are like, oh, that's cool. Like I get that. And you probably like don't spend money in some other area that another person might value a lot. So it's just people are different. But that's my general thought. What about you? Yeah, I'm just curious, just to ask you one more follow up. Like, should people judgmental? Like, let's flip Mike's situation. Let's say you knew someone who was working paycheck to paycheck that hated their job. And then they go out and take out a massive loan to buy a Tesla or some other, yeah, a, a Tesla. We'll, we'll just keep it at that. Is it our right to even judge them? Like, should we do that? I mean, what else would we do <laughs> with our time? We have so much free time to judge other people. Uh, I mean, I think that maybe not real. I mean, I think we can judge them, but it's not like we're going around giving advice like, ah, oh, you really shouldn't do that. I don't, I don't care that much. You know, if someone yeah. wants to do that, that's cool. I don't, not, not my problem, which yep. is a, 
it sounds like a bad attitude, but I think probably a lot of people uh, feel that. They just don't say it as bluntly. But yeah, it's not my problem if someone wants to make a bad decision. I can't help everyone. So yeah, maybe not a, a good move, but I wouldn't care. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not your life. There was one time I always wore a, a helmet with a motorcycle, but there was one time I forgot it like it was in my dorm room. So I had it on and someone shouted at me like, dude, where's your helmet? Like, well, like, what do you really care if I don't have a helmet on? Like, like number one, I forgot at this one instance, but if I crash and land on my head and die, like, what's it to you? So I, I don't like when people are judgmental like that. But hold that, on, hold, wait, wait, wait. You, did you have a, I'm picturing a scooter, like from Dumb and Dumber. So what, what kind of, what kind of vehicle were you riding on? It, it wasn't a scooter. It was uh, like a 200, no, it was a 305 CC, like old Kawasaki motorcycle. It was, it was a piece of crap. I'm lucky I didn't actually kill myself on it. It was underpowered and yeah, it wouldn't start half the time. It was a, kind of a miserable experience. Gotcha. And were you like, ah. I think I'm a motorcycle guy. I'm going to give this a shot for a little while or what? Uh, I've had motorcycles for most of my life, like between the ages of 21. And I sold my last really? one like two or three years ago. Yeah. So now I don't. How about that? I had no idea. Yeah. I'm in between them. They're just, uh, people don't pay attention. I've got kids now. People are looking at their phones. I've almost got hit a couple times by people looking at their phones and change lanes into you. Like, hey, one time I was like banging on someone's window. Like, I'm right here. <laughs> So, yeah, that's gave crazy. Up. I would do if I ever had a place in the mountains. I think I'd get some kind of off road machine. Maybe even they've got like high end electric bikes, bikes, which are kind of cool. I think I'd buy one of those for off road use. But yeah, like uh, even bikes, you got to watch out. I know you're pretty conservative about that, especially on streets. People don't look. All it takes is mm -hmm. one crazy person to swerve over and boom, that's it for you. Yeah, man. Okay, continue. Yeah, back to Mike's situation. The thing about Mike and the thing I really like about his question here is Mike knows exactly where he is at in life. He knows how much money he needs. He, he's got a good income. He knows his investments. The guy's a CPA, so we can't question anything he's doing. Like, this guy is killing it in life. And the other thing he says in here about the Teslas, he's like, I love the car. It is amazing. If that really makes you happy, you should totally go ahead and do it without judgment. If someone judges you, who cares? Screw them. Um, maybe they're just jealous that you get to have this thing and, and they don't. I don't know. You don't know, but you shouldn't care either. If that thing brings you joy and it, it so sounds like it makes your life better, you spend a lot of time in your car with kids, you should totally do it. it it's so funny. This question is so timely because yesterday, so I'll back up a second, Doug. One thing we've done for our kids, I said, hey, kids, you both get to pick out one like really nice vacation but before you leave the house. And my older one yesterday was like, hey, dad, I'd really like to take a long road trip. I'd like to drive to Seattle, drive down the Pacific Coast Highway all the way down to San Diego and then drive back to Colorado. It's like 4,000 miles. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. She's like, it'd be cool if we had a nicer car to do it. So mm -hmm. both of our cars have 200,000 miles on them. I'm like, well... You know, I've talked about buying a Tesla for years. Before we do that, we will buy a Tesla, one with a long-range thing, and we will do this road trip in style. So, so yeah, Mike, I am actually going to buy one. It'll be before summer of 2024, which is when this trip is tentatively scheduled for. So, yeah, I will buy cool. one. Cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the FI community should be so judgmental, especially when people know the trade-off like bike obviously knows by buying this thing he's going to have to work another year or, or something like that some indeterminate amount of time but he's okay with it so great mm -hmm. great for him so i have a couple couple things to add number one we'll give a little teaser you actually made an, a big huge purchase where we have an upcoming episode that we're going to talk about and it it feels like it's out of character and I'm excited to do the episode so people, you know, stay tuned for that in a couple weeks here. And a couple, ah, I forgot, forgot some of the other points, but I know when I got my first expensive guitar, it's like, man, that is so much. Like there are comparable guitars, but like you said, with the Model Y from Mike, the thing brings me joy. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I love playing it. I'm playing guitar more. Like, it's fine. And at some, at some point, you know, you don't want to be irresponsible, like the hypothetical that you mentioned before where someone's living paycheck to paycheck. But it's like, I could afford to buy a nice guitar. May as well check it out. And 
it's hard to shift gears into that where you're like, oh, I can spend some money after you spent so long like accumulating. So the other thing I did finally remember is the buy community can be pretty frugal. And there's a, there's a bit of a disconnect. I think we all get along, but there's some people that are super frugal and they they're in a different mode. There's different ways to do it. And I think all of it is okay, but like, we're not very frugal. We are definitely on the fat side of fire and that's what we want. Like we want to be able to be a little wasteful and, you know, take some vacations or buy some things where it's like, ah, you know what? Like that's easy to just cut out. It's not a big deal. Um, but we, we like it and I like some stuff and, you know, we have a couple cameras laying around here. Like I like technology and like some of the video gear is unnecessary, but I like having it. It's kind of cool. So do, do you have any other, again, we'll hit your episode, but any other splurges? Uh, splurges. Yeah. Probably just nice trips. Um, I told the girls they could spend up to, I think I put a limit of $6,000 on their vacations, which is a, a lot of money. So, of course, they're trying to find things that cost $6,000. Uh, we're going to we're going to be going to Economy in March, and then we're going to be going to New York City after that, which will be expensive. We had to, I think the flights for all those were 3000 and then we bought tickets to two Broadway shows. One was like 1200 and I think the other one was like 1100 So, those are definitely big splurges. But that stuff is important. It'll be a great experience. The girls will remember it forever. I got to tell you, Doug, I was buying cheese at the grocery store the other day, and they've got the little thing on the label where you can see <laughs> the price per ounce. So I still look at that all the time, like, oh, my God, this one's like 11.6. And they go into the first decimal point there, the tenths. And the other one's like 9.8 or whatever. Okay, I'm going for the 9.8. So I do the same thing. Yeah. It's like... I don't know. I was trained as a kid, you know, look for that. It's like, you don't want to overpay or I'll get the, whatever the jumbo side, the big family size for no, no reason <laughs> for two cents or whatever. We have 10 pounds of shredded Sargento cheese, but it was 2.2 cents cheaper. And, and on the other side, it's like, I know like when we were, you know, right out of school or whatever, like making those decisions like helped out. But like now it's like, don't waste your time on it. Just like get the thing that you need. And maybe don't buy like the the giant uh, four pounder of cheese. Probably not good for it. <laughs> number one, but yeah, if you're saving like a dollar, like it may not matter that much at this stage. But I, I mean, I can see the other side too. Yeah, I, I think the TLDR on this one is to uh, be frugal on shit you don't care about. But then if it's something you really do care about, like a guitar or a car or an experience, like go for it if that's going to truly make you happy. Don't do it and don't think again about it. Before we move on to the next one, you mentioned economy. We're both going, looking forward to it. We're going to be doing a little uh, meetup. So I don't think we have any details, but if you are going to economy, keep an eye out for that. Make sure you're on our email list, which you can sign up for. There's a link in the description. So Yes, and we also have a discount code. It is at checkout. If you sign up for economy, it is mile high fi, all one word, all uppercase. If you put that in, you get 10 or 15% off. And Doug, one cool thing is we're going to talk a, a little bit about this later today offline is uh, I found a t-shirt manufacturer, so we are going to have some great swag. And I was looking, they even have athletic tank tops. I don't think they have mesh tank tops, but they do have the athletic tank top and maybe some undergarments. We should get a couple thongs just as a joke. We'll, we'll put them out there on the table and see if anyone grabs one. <laughs> Yeah. When we'll, I picture us wearing them and we're, they're like, oh, what are these? And then we like lift up our shirt and people can see how uh, like high the thong comes up on us. Yeah. What, what do they call that when you can see the, the thong in back? I think it's called a whale tail. Have you ever heard that term before? Like, Yeah, that sounds familiar. We can get some low rider pants and people can see our whale tails. That'll, <laughs> that'll ensure that absolutely no one comes to our meetup. <laughs> ah, man. Now I'm picturing a t-shirt where it's like, the front of the t-shirt is like us in the cartoon, but on the back, it's like us like leaning over and then we each have whale tails. That, I think you could do that, right? Yeah, that, that'll be the next t-shirt. It'll be great. And it'll be, it won't be a cartoon. This needs to be a photo. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to pay people to take them. Okay. So next one, we have a question, a comment from Justin. 
So I think we're going to, we're actually going to commit the same sin again. So Justin says this, I wanted to comment on uh, an episode. It was a mailbag. I found it a bit misleading to name the entire episode as Coast Fi the best way to fire. And then just devote like five minutes to the topic between the other bits. I was all amped up to hear more <laughs> about your takes on Coast Fi and it was a little let down. So yeah, we're going to do the same exact thing. <laughs> I, I think we'll expound a little bit more, Doug. I've got a, I don't even remember what we talked about. So I guess that tells me we didn't devote enough time to it. Okay. And Justin, we're making a promise to you. So we'll talk about it a little bit now. We'll do a whole episode. We'll maybe try to get some feedback from other people and we'll do a better job. So as I, as I was reading it, I think you heard me realize the irony of what we were about to do. So Carl, you have five minutes to cover Coast Fi. <laughs> I better not coast or else we won't get through it. We should have Jessica from the Fine Years again. She probably popularized this more than anyone else. But first, real quick, Coast Fi is when you save a certain amount of money where it's a big chunk, but not enough to retire on. So you might save, you might need a million dollars a year, but you're going to save 500,000, for example. And then you're going to get some kind of job that might not be your full-on job, but you're frugal. So you can live off $40,000 a year. You can dial that back, work part-time, just work. You could take summers off, but just some job that makes it so you don't have to touch that core $500,000 or, or, or whatever that amount is. And then you just, you work your job, do your hustles or whatever, and you wait for that money to get to its full amount that you could retire on. And then you can make a decision at that point to quit your job or not. Maybe you're enjoying your, your side hustles. So I, I think, uh, Doug, do you have any comments on that, first of all? No, that sounds good. Okay. I think this is a pretty healthy way to do things. I wrote a post a long time ago called the Death March to Fi, which where I talked about my own life, I did not do Coast Fi. I saw that if I had a huge chunk of money, I could stop my job. So I did, I tweaked my life. I did everything possible to get to the huge chunk. Uh, it wasn't a good decision. I had a full-time job. We were working on a house and then I had two kids and then the blog too. So I was working 40, 50 hours a week working on the house, probably 60 to 80 hours a week. I'd wake up like at four or five in the morning. And then I had two kids who I did my best to spend time with them. Um, and then I would often stay up till midnight working on a blog post. I used to do two or three posts a week. And this was not a healthy way to live. The whole point of fire, Doug, is to be happy. So why give up your happiness now for something that you think will make you happy in the future? It's completely ridiculous and then not way in the wrong way to go about it. So I think if you can make Coast Fire work for you, it's great. The other thing I want to say about this is I don't think, I think Coast Fire is enabled by COVID and some recent phenomena with work. Like I think about my parents and I'm sure your parents dug too. You would work a job. And I remember people would telling me I had this career coach in college who's like, you know, you never want to have a gap in your resume. Like if you have six months off, it's going to be a huge red flag and employers are going to ask you about that and they're probably not going to want to hire you because they're going to suspect something bad was going on during the time. But I think things are the exact opposite. Now we've got this whole side hustle and gig culture where companies actually encourage you to do things like that, to work on your mental health and to explore your passions. And then they come back, you come back and you're a better worker because you're re-energized. So I think our coupling with Formal work is much looser than it ever was. So I think that enables the Coast Fi situation. And I think that's great. I don't think I could have done Coast Fi at the start of my career just because of how things were even 20 years ago. My first job, I had to wear a fucking tie to sit in a cube and program computers. What the hell was that? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think Coast Fi is great. And we'll get Jessica from the Fine Years on again to talk more about it. And we'll um, we'll put a link to her first episode. I mean, we cover a lot of the details. So one thing I could pepper in is Coast Fi gives you a chance to test things out. So I think one of the issues, right, especially in your situation, I mean, you were working too much as you were on the death march to Fi. And that, that's not going to make you happy. But you also, like, had some issues to work through to figure out what activities you enjoyed, like where you wanted to put your time and effort in life in general. And if you're working super hard all day long, 
all these different areas also. So it was like fixing up a house, doing your day job, trying to be a family man, trying to blog. It's like changing tasks all the time. You have no bandwidth to like figure out what you want to try to do. So with Coast Fi, like you could get a part-time job at something like at a bakery, right? Like if you enjoy baking, like my wife, like she can, she actually has picked up a part-time job uh, seasonally at a local like cookie factory. Another thing that didn't help my, uh, my waistline over the holidays, but yeah, the point is like you have a little space and breathing room to like figure shit out. Like you don't have to be busy all the time. And if you are busy all the time and then you retire, you now have this void and we've talked to enough people where a lot of them hit some depressed depression period for like a few months until they figure out like they can't sit at home and like play video games or like do some bullshit pastime thing. Like they need to have like some challenges. They need to be productive. They, they need to be social. They need to like learn and, you know, a handful of other things that like lead to happiness. So, you know, I'll shout out to Mr. Money Mustache in our episode that we did, which was really devoted to happiness. So any follow-ups on that one? One final thing I'll say is uh, we've had some layoffs in the news, but still the unemployment rate is super low. Now is the best time that I can ever remember in my life to negotiate with your employer. Like you have the power because there are not enough workers to, to go around. So if you think a part-time situation or a sabbatical would be good, now is the time to ask for that. Um, At the end of my career, I asked to go part-time. I never thought they would go for it. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, go for it. You can work three days a week. Maybe there's an opportunity to go from W-2 to become a contractor, which is, and I kind of had to do that to go part-time, but they doubled my pay because I was W-2 and then they didn't have to give me any benefits. So I think that actually worked out in my favor too. So, yeah, if you're considering this at all, um, it, you should ask your employer, what's the worst that can go wrong? What's the worst that can happen? They'll say no. Yep. So, Justin, we will do a whole episode. We love the topic. We're into Coast Fi. And we'll, we'll do some research. We'll actually do a, be- a better episode and uh, expand on some of the ideas here. So if you have more questions, if anyone has questions on Coast Fi, thoughts about it, um, details, if you know, it's related to like logistically how to set it up. Like, what does this actually look like? Like, let us know if you have anything specific. All right. What's next, Carl? Uh, We have one final question and this is a case study from JC. So JC says, good evening. I'm a recent email subscriber. And by the way, you can go to milehighfi.com and subscribe to our email list. It's awesome. But he's a longtime podcast listener. I understand it is informational only, but looking for some general guidance. I'm trying to move toward fire. I am a late bloomer. I'm 50 years old. I have about 150000 in a TSP. And a quick side note, a TSP is a government savings vehicle, which is pretty much exactly the same as a 401k. They're, they're very good. They have very low-cost index funds in there. So TSP, 401k. So he's got 150000 in the TSP. He's looking to double down and make some serious progress. I am maxing out my 401k right now, or TSP but not sure where else I can put my money outside of traditional banking. I am not yet into real estate, but looking, no major debt. Uh, I've got a home and one vehicle, but still able to invest 30% of of my monthly salary right now. I'm looking to increase as the new year progresses. I think, well, JC, thanks for being a longtime listener. I think a whole life policy. I think uh, life insurance is the way to go. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I just closed mine out, which is a story for another day when we do another grab bag episode. So I was like, fuck this whole life plan. So never meet with an insurance agent as an investor. Doesn't work. Just informational, by the way. (laughs) Damn, I just bought you skydiving lessons too for Christmas. So yeah, what what do you think, Carl? Uh, he says one thing, which I think is kind of interesting. He mentions real estate. So I think if you know what you're doing with real estate, you can actually make more than you can from VTSAX and it's also in your control, but there is a learning curve. You can't just jump into it. Mindy sees this all the time from her job at bigger pockets. There's people who will, who will just buy a house for the sake of buying a house. And then it's making zero money. And there's ways to, there's calculations like the 1% rule with real estate. So 
and also there's the mental bandwidth of being a landlord. If you're not careful, you're going to, you could get a person in there that could make your life miserable for a long time. So I'd say tread very carefully with that. If you want to get your feet wet with real estate, you might want to consider a syndication deal. That's where investors pool their money together to buy something like an apartment building. And then they they work in all different ways. But the ones we've invested in is they do a rehab, they rehab the apartments as people move out, and then they'll resell the whole building at the end, maybe a five to 10 year hold term in that. And that is completely passive. They usually pay you a monthly dividend or a quarterly dividend, and then you get a big payout at the end. May uh, I jump in on? Yeah. Also, it is okay if you don't want to do real estate. I know it's a very popular topic. People have found great success. I mean, you leverage your money. That's why you can earn so much more potentially. I've gone to some events like uh, Camp Fies and like almost everyone's talking about real estate. They're like, oh, I picked up another couple duplexes, this and that. And you feel like you're missing out. Uh, there's a silent uh, uh, minority uh, and we don't we don't care. We don't want the hassle. Um, I personally don't like looking at houses. I don't like real estate agents. I don't like brokers. Anyone in the process, like I've had a bad experience and I was like, you know what? It's not my thing and I'm lazier and I don't want to do all the stuff that you just mentioned, the mental bandwidth. I have no interest in any of that stuff. It's cool if other people do, but I don't want to do it. And JC, it's okay if you don't want to do it. So I would say like dip your feet in the water. Maybe you have some friends that are into it and you can see like you could maybe shadow them for a little while. Take a course, like get into it. But I would say don't like pull the trigger until you're like, okay, I'm I'm really in into this and I want to spend time like looking at real estate and doing all this stuff. Doug, I agree completely 100%. And I was going to say all these syndications, we did a lot of research and I think we're pretty smart about it. Almost everyone we ever did beat their projection because they'll tell you how much money they expect to make. So almost everyone, I think like eight out of 10 beat what they thought they were going to make. None of them beat VTSAX. So unless you really feel strongly about this, and again, we're not financial advisors, we're uh, two dorks on the internet. But if I were you, I would err on the side of just opening, if you have extra money, op open up a post-tax account with E-Trade or Interactive Brokers or whatever and invest in VTSAX that way or Fidelity. Fidelity has a great bunch of low-cost funds. So I would, unless you feel strongly about real estate, that's what I would do. Just do the same thing you're doing now, but do it post-tax. And that stuff could be kind of cool. I know you're, you're 50, JC, but maybe you don't want to wait until you're 59 to re retire. Uh, maybe you want to access the money earlier and having money in a post-tax account would allow you to do that now as well. So yeah, I'm in complete agreement with Doug. And we're actually, a uh, personal note, we're scaling down all of our real estate stuff. We do have the one monthly rental. We have our first tenant coming in May, March 1st, but we are not actively looking to buy any more real estate or even any more syndications. Cool. And JC, this is exactly what my wife and I arrived at when we were, you know, discovering fine what we wanted to do with our investments. We realized, hey, we need a post-tax brokerage account. So I have an E-Trade account. My wife has some other account and there's a lot of flexibility in it. Of course, you don't get the tax benefits of the retirement accounts, but it it gives you more flexibility. So there's always a cost. It's either, you know, taxed on the front end, taxed on the back end, uh, brokerage account, post-tax, like uh, you're taxed on the front end and the back end for capital gains. So it's not, it's not a, a great tax benefit, but it gives you full flexibility for whatever you need to do. So, and you guys have that as well, right? You have a post-tax, you have your retirement accounts, and then other something? Yeah, that is correct. And, uh, we actually have more money in our post-tax accounts than we do our pre-tax. And uh, you say post-tax, but capital gains started at like 83, 84,000 a year. So if you stand or that, you're not even paying taxes on post-tax stuff. So I think a post-tax account is probably underrated and underappreciated by the FIRE community. Right. Yeah, I got a lot of hate for <laughs> not, not doing enough with my 401k. So, okay, cool. Uh, great question. And JC, if you have any follow-ups, just send us an email back. Yeah, I've got one other thing to say about this. This is a funny story. I didn't tell you this, Doug, but at the HQ meetup we just had, I was talking to someone named Sam. I don't know if you met her. And they were pretty young. I would say she's probably around 30, maybe even younger. And I'm like, it's so great that y'all are here and that you understand fire. And she's like, yeah, you say that. But, you know, we just found out about this. I wish I would have known about it 
I wish I would have known about it er earlier in life. I'm like, well, you're pretty young. Like I didn't know about any of this until I was almost 40. So you're doing great. One of the things JC says in here is I'm a late bloomer. So, and I hear people getting down on themselves like all the time about this stuff. But what I always tell people when they have these attitudes is like most people never figure it out. So the fact that you figured it out at 50 and you might have half your year left ahead, you might have half your life left. So I think it's great that you found out about it now and that you've got this savings rate. Like you could be, I don't know what his big number is, but he could potentially be, have a big pile by the time he's 60. You know, if he's putting 30% in, he could be a millionaire by 60, which is great. Most people don't figure it out. So don't lament and don't get down on yourself if you found out about this stuff later. Yep. And I was going to say, you know, when we bump into people that discover it later, like I was mid thirties as well. And I mean, it really only takes a few years. Like if you were doing a couple of things, okay. And didn't like dramatically make some bad errors early on, like you could turn things around in a few years and it's kind of ridiculous. It's like under five years, usually people have kind of their shit together. It depends on a number of factors, but you know, if you have a reasonable salary and you have flexibility, like you don't, (laughs) you have flexibility in your expenses. Like you don't live in a, you know, tier one, super expensive city or state, then you could save a lot just with some tweaks. Yeah. It's amazing. So anything else, Carl? I think that's all. Do you ever notice like all of a sudden you're like, oh man, my fly is down. You ever notice that? Yeah. It's pretty much once a week that happens. Usually it's in a social situation and then it's down. And then I see Doug's pulling up his fly right now. Do you see what, do you know what's about to happen? (laughs) Yeah. Ever happen in a podcast? Uh, I don't, I'm going to check right now. Um, Georgie was down there. We'll post pictures to our, uh, that, that sounded really bad. Uh, Georgie, the dog came in here when we were recording earlier today and, uh, went under the table and put a toy right on my, uh, crotch, but yeah, it is closed and we'll put pictures of that. I took pictures. We'll post that to our buy me a coffee Patreons? What do we call it? Supporters. Supporters. Yeah. You know, it took a long time to train her to do that. <laughs> it was quite startling. I still don't, don't know what to think about the situation. I might have yeah. to talk to a therapist about it. All right. That's a good way to close out the episode. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast. And I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host. And Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five. And uh, actually, we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind is pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. The day that we're recording this is February 1st. We made it through dry January. How did it go for you? Doug, it wasn't quite dry for me. I call it moist January because I did have a couple beers. We were at Camp Defy and I had some beers. And I, on a previous recording, I told you that I had not had drinks with JT, that that had happened before January 1st. But I thought about it after I left your house and it did happen after January 1st. And I remember this because Mindy was like, hey, JT wants to go out to a couple breweries. I'm like, well, it's dry January. I'll just drive. I don't want to drink. You you can go crazy if you want, but I'm going to honor this. She says, she's like, no, it's going to be pretty strange if you're not drinking. Just have like one or a, or a sample. So I had 
two small ones and I tried to go for like the session beer, like the 3.9 percenter or something like that. So Doug, it was moist for me, but it was still highly beneficial and um, I'm scaling way back from here on out. I am not giving it up completely, but yeah, uh, not much going forward from here. Um, Mm -hmm. Any follow-ups and how about you, Doug? Yeah, I was going to say, did the brewery that you went to or breweries, did they have like a non-alcoholic option of some kind, like anything? No, excuse me. Let's- That's why we do sound checks. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Let's not get crazy, Doug. Uh, I don't know if they had a non-alcohol beer. I would guess that they did not, but they certainly had other drinks that I could have had. But I think that would have been a good compromise because it looks like the beer, you've got some YOLO thing that looks like pee in a pint glass that you're drinking, not selling it there. But yeah, I would guess that neither of them actually had that, or at least maybe not their own. Maybe they sold cans of like, what's that one, Athletic or whatever. Maybe they had right. cans of that, but I did not seek it out. Yeah. And I think I think about, uh, like you said, Mindy mentioned, uh, oh, it'll be weird if you don't drink anything, but like as long as you're drinking something, it's probably okay. Because no one really, they don't give a fuck about you or what you're drinking most of the time. and And I've- I asked a question about the non-alcoholic beer at a brewery. I've ne- I've never even looked for that. I would have no idea, like, other than sometimes you uh, see someone get, like, soda water or, like, uh, you know, just a soda because, like, they're sober or something like that. But they still hang out with all their cool alcoholic friends. <laughs> um, yeah, and then f- for me, it went really well also. So by the time, you know, this episode comes out, people will have heard of my hot tub accident, which uh, every everything's fine. But that while it, I don't believe it was specifically like alcohol abuse um, related, because I, I had a beer, but not that much. Um, but basically after that, it was really easy for me to just be like, you know what? I'm not going to drink anything. No THC, like totally sober, sober, like all month long. Now, you tried to be the little devil on my shoulder. You invited me out to a beer tasting where you're like, oh, yeah. Every now and then, a couple of us will get together. We'll uh, bring some cool beers from our stash, and then we'll just all share. And I was like, ah, I do want to hang out, but that could be just putting me in a situation to fail, right? It's like the environment I can control really well. And if there's not beer around, like it's much easier, blah, blah, blah. So I showed up super late. I showed up right before you and Mindy left, actually. And I did pick up some of the athletic brewing beers. A friend of mine, Graham, who's sober, he he was like, it's pretty good. They have a lot of different varieties, blah, blah, blah. And it's available at you know Walmart, Safeway, like other grocery stores, really easy to get. So I was like, oh, I'll pick up one of those again to the point of just like I'm holding something and drinking it. So I hung out for a little while, hung out with uh, Matt and Jake for a minute, drank a non-alcoholic beer, and it was it was fine. And I was only there for like 20 minutes. So it was like a good window. I had other shit to do, and that's how I kind of controlled it. So I wasn't like standing around for two hours watching people drink beers that I really want to try. <laughs> so Yeah, good. And by the time you got there, we had probably finished off all the, like he brought Treehouse and Trillium, which if you're a beer nerd, you've heard of those. I think they're both Massachusetts. So, But we had probably finished those off. So there wasn't maybe not as much to be tempted by. So yeah, good strategy. Yep. And then the the final thing is I just, um, I have a kegerator, which is, you know, not great for the, (laughs) my environment of not having available beer, but I was like, I'll make some soda water. So I just you know, our water here is pretty good. So I made some soda water, just carbonated and uh, some hop water. So it's not, you know, it's not the same as beer. And like you, I'm planning on like scaling back greatly. Like I don't have any specific plans to uh, drink anything, but like you mentioned before, it's like social, special occasions, stuff like that. Um, And Previously, I was treat, treating every day as a special occasion, a party that I really needed to celebrate, which we should, but not with uh, like four beers. I, I agree. One last follow-up. Would you ever consider brewing, like in a, a back up a second, when we were in Germany, I remember they had some 
super low alcohol beers. They were like 2.5%. I think they were Rathers, which is kind of a combination of like maybe a lemonade and a Hefeweizen or something like that. But would you ever consider doing that, a super low ABV beer? Because I feel that might be a good compromise. Yeah, literally we've had the conversation just in the last couple of days. So I I really got into beer brewing a, a few years ago and there's a lot of British beers that are, they're session beers and they're like, you know, two to 3% uh, British milds. You don't see them around too often, but you know, you can have a few of them and it's totally fine. It's like drinking one of the beers we, we normally drink. So since I can brew my own beer, I was like, yeah, maybe I can make like one and one and a half percent. So there's like a tiny bit of alcohol. It'll have better mouthfeel, a little bit more flavor than like some of the maybe athletic brewing beers where there's no alcohol. Cause you do get a little flavor and mouthfeel. At least I'm convincing myself that you do from the alcohol. So yeah, I, I probably will check that out. And there's some styles that really lend themselves to, you know, making a low alcohol beer. So I'll probably do that. One more very quick follow-up. Mm -hmm. we're, we're always talking about asparagus maybe, and I don't know if anyone's ever done this. I know there's a brewery <laughs> in Illinois that brews all kinds of weird beer. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's Central or Southern, but they have like a mushroom beer, which sounds super disgusting to me, but why not try to incorporate asparagus? You could sell the health benefits. It's got the asparagine amino acid. It'll, your pee will smell good, like all the benefits <laughs> with just a little bit of alcohol. It'll be great. I think... Um I'm picturing something where it's like a garnish. So there's like a couple stocks sticking out of there because you want people to know what you're drinking. It's like a status symbol. Yeah. It sounds kind of dangerous. So you'll poke your eye out with the asparagus spear. <laughs> Get sued. Ugh.